us to Ezekiel chapter 6. Ezekiel chapter 6. And the title tonight is Idolatry Condemned. Idolatry Condemned. The book of Ezekiel is a very orderly book. And up to this point, we've had prophecies that mostly deal with Jerusalem. But now Ezekiel is going to focus on the whole land of Israel. And judgment is going to come upon the whole land. Ezekiel is with the second group of people who were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were slaves of the government of Babylon working in the farming area by the river Kabar. And the Jewish captives, including the prophet Ezekiel, lived among the banks of this river at the village of Tel Abib. We found that out back in chapter 1 and chapter 3. And it was at the river Kabar where Ezekiel saw several of his remarkable visions of God. And the river Kabar was most likely not a river at all, but the famous royal canal of King Nebuchadnezzar that, concerned, that, that connected the, the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. But most of the people were still back in the land, and Jerusalem hadn't been destroyed yet. But the false prophets continue encouraging the people that everything was going to be okay. And that the captives would be able to return soon to Jerusalem. In the meantime, while the false prophets were giving the people a false sense of security, Jeremiah was saying that the captivity would last for 70 years. But the people didn't pay any attention to to, uh, Jeremiah. They listened to the false prophets instead of what they were saying uh, uh, because it sounded better. Again, they, they, they liked what, you know, what the false prophets were telling them. You know, they had itching ears. They wanted to hear things that was more comforting. They wanted to hear things that were, uh, you know, very positive. And over the years, I've seen that same attitude with people. Oh, you know, when you preach a message on God's judgment, you know, there are people who, who don't like it. And they'll say, oh, you're too negative. You're, you're, you know, you're just too negative. Well, sometimes the message is negative. Isaiah said in chapter 30, verses 9 through 11, these people are like children who refuse to obey. They lie and refuse to listen to the Lord's teachings. They tell the prophets, don't see dreams about things that we should do. Don't tell us the truth. Say nice things to us and make us feel good. See only good things for us. Stop seeing things that will really happen. Get out of our way and stop telling us about the Holy One of Israel. I mean, that was their attitude. And there's people like that today. They don't want to hear the truth. They want to be comforted. They want to feel good after they leave church. God didn't call preachers, though, to make you comfortable, but to be transformed. And here's a warning for rebellious Judah from Isaiah chapter 30, verses 8 through 17. Now go and write down these words. Write them in a book. They will stand until the end of times as a witness that these people are stubborn rebels who refuse to pay attention to the Lord's instructions. They tell the seers or the prophets, stop seeing visions. They tell the prophets, hey, don't tell us what's right. Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Forget all about this gloom. Get off your narrow path. Stop telling us about your Holy One of Israel. This is the reply of the Holy One of Israel. Because you despise what I tell you and trust instead in oppression and lies, calamity will come upon you suddenly. 
like a bulging wall that bursts and falls. And in an instant, it will collapse and come crashing down. You will be smashed like a piece of pottery, shattered so completely that there won't be a piece big enough to carry coals from a fireplace or a little water from the well. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. And I read that from the New Living Translation. They don't want to hear the Word of God. The Word of God is not about feeling good. It's not about making friends. It's not about having a wonderful, trouble-free plan for your life. That's not the message of the Word of God. In chapters 6 and 7, there's two messages of judgment. Ezekiel now is going to speak about what concerns all the land of Israel. And his message is that the idolaters are going to die and the land is going to become lifeless as well. So chapter 6 covers the message to the mountains, which is the end of the false worship. And the message in chapter 6 moves from the totally dramatic drama sermons uh, of the messages that, that Ezekiel gave in chapters 4 and 5, and they're combined with dramatic and verbal parts and looks ahead to the visions and messages that follow. And the message also changes the subject from the sins of of the nation in general, in chapters 4 and 5, to the mountains and to the high places and the detestable practices of the people mentioned in verse 11, which were associated with pagan worship. So chapter 6 focuses on each person's responsibility and prepares the way for the following spoken messages. And this drama has four parts. First, Ezekiel is commanded to preach to the mountains of Israel in verses 1 and 2. Second is a warning about the coming destruction of the places of idolatry in verses 3 through 7. And then third, there's kind of a short break, an intermission from the the mention of judgment. And it's an offering of hope. A repentant remnant will be preserved in verses 8 through 10. And then fourth is a mocking expression of grief over the devastation caused by Israel's adultery in verses 11 through 14. So let's begin now in chapter 6 with verses 1 through 2. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. So this verse, these verses start out with the first of the two messages. The second message is in chapter 1. And it starts out the same way as it does here. The word of the Lord came to me saying. The people wouldn't accept what Ezekiel said. But he told them, look, I'm telling you, or I'm not telling you what I think. I'm not telling you what I'm hoping for. I'm not telling you what I'd like to see happen. I am telling you what God says. And many times what God has to say is a negative message. And it's also worth making a note of this, that both of these messages end with the words, then, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Negative messages have the tendency to do that. A warning. God's saying, hey, this is going to happen if you, if, if you don't repent. Then, then they will know that I am the Lord. God sent this judgment upon them. So that he would know, that they would know that he was the Lord. And one of the purposes behind God's judgment is so men might know that God is a holy God. And this world 
And everybody in it needs to know that God is a holy God. We have, we've had a great deal of emphasis on the truth that God is love. And it's very true. God is love. But that's only half the story. We need to also look at the other side of the coin. God is holy, but God will punish sin. But if you turn away from him in disobedience, and if you deny him and don't accept his loving, gracious, merciful offer of salvation, then there's only one choice left, judgment. Hebrews 10, 26, 20, and 27 you know, the, the writer says, in, in again from the New Living Translation, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. And men today try to excuse themselves. They don't want to recognize that they are sinners. They try to write God off. They try to blow him off, kick him out of his universe by saying he doesn't exist. Paul said in Romans 1, 19 and 20, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Because ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And a lot of people find it hard today to believe in God. People come to the sad and wrong conclusion that there is no God. Because the God of the covenant he's, you know, is a God who would protect his people. Who would never let anything happen to them. Because he's a God of love. And here's the problem. Again, they're only looking at one side of God. And they never take into consideration, like Ezekiel did, that there might be something wrong with the people. And that's why judgment came upon them. They had turned their backs on God and they had denied him. They had been given a special privilege. But with that privilege came responsibility that they didn't measure up to. So Ezekiel is telling the people that it's God who's sending this judgment. That, so that he might prove to them that he is a holy God. And his judgment, it's an awful thing. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Writer of Hebrews said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because Ezekiel was made aware of God's holiness at the beginning of his ministry, he devoted his whole life to the ministry of trying to persuade men to come to the Lord Jesus. And even though this was a spoken message, it was also accompanied by the symbolic action in verse 2 of setting his face toward the mountains of Israel. In other words, turn and face the mountains of Israel, Ezekiel, and prophesy against them. And after his first prophecy of judgment given to Jerusalem in, in, in uh, Ezekiel 5, verses 5 through 17, Ezekiel was then instructed to announce judgment on the mountains of Israel. Speak to the mountains of Israel, Ezekiel. It's as though the mountains were the ones that were ready to listen to God's message. The mountains would receive the message of condemnation here. But they would receive a message of blessing later on in chapter 36. That would apply to Israel. On the other hand, 
The mountains, for the most part, were the main places where the idolatrous worship would take place. That's why he said, Ezekiel, speak to the mountains. Because it was in those mountains, in those high places where the idolatry worship would take place. Representing, that was representing Israel's apostasy. They're turning away from God and their perversion of the good and holy things of God. Shrines that were, dis, that were, that were dedicated to Canaanite gods were built in groves on the hills and the mountains there in Israel. And like Elijah and Hosea and Amos acknowledged, the Hebrews tried to produce a combination of different parts of Canaanite worship and Jehovah worship. And people want to do that today. Why can't we pick the best of Christianity and the best of Buddha and the best of Confucius and the best of all these? And let's just put it together. And make a church for everybody. One that everybody will be happy with and, and will accept. Look at verses 3 through 7. I'll find it here. Okay. And, and now he says, And say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus, the Lord God to the, uh, thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, and to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will uh, destroy your high places. Then your altar shall be desolate, your incense altar shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones all around your altars." In all your dwelling places, the cities shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. Your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. Then slain shall fall. Uh, the slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So the people rejected Ezekiel. They rejected his mission and they rejected his, his, his message. But you see, they, they weren't actually rejecting Ezekiel as much as they were rejecting God. The people refused to listen to Ezekiel because, you see, he was God's spokesman. The same thing happened when, to, to Samuel when the people rejected his leadership. And they said, Samuel, we want a king to rule over us. It was really the rejection of Jehovah God who Samuel represented that the people were rejecting. God says here in verse 3, I will destroy your high places. High places were your originally elevated places. It was any elevated location, whether it was a hilltop or valley, where Baal and a bunch of other Canaanite gods were worshipped. The Israelites adopted the use of these places and associated worship practices, which included sexual misconduct, sorcery, spiritism, and child sacrifice. God's people got involved in these practices. And in that land, under every kind of tree, there was a heathen altar around where the grossest depravity took place. This is what the heathen, the Gentiles did. But now, this nation, Israel, God's chosen people, were doing the same thing. They had given themselves over to the same wicked idolatry. God says there in verse 3, notice, I will bring a sword against you. In other words, judgment is coming upon you. Judgment was described in very clear words. 
in describing the destruction of the altars of sacrifice, the incense altars, and the idols in verse 4 and 6. So these worship centers, these worship centers usually had animal bones scattered around them. And Ezekiel said, notice in verse 5, your bones are going to be scattered around these pagan altars. Because again, the sacrifice of the animals, there were bones around the altar. But he's saying, your bones are now going to be scattered around these altars, these pagan altars. These high places usually consisted of several basic things. There was an altar for offering the sacrifices. These were usually built out of stone or mud bricks. There was a wooden pole to represent the female goddess of fertility called Asherah. Then there was at least one stone pillar to represent the male god Baal. And then there was a smaller incense altar with a tent that was used for eating sacrificial meals, practicing a sacred prostitution, and for storage of their vessels of worship. So Ezekiel prophesied the well-ordered destruction of these worship centers, these high places that tried to combine parts of Jehovah worship with pagan practices. What they had, God says in verse 6, was to be abolished. It was to be done away with. And this was important because Ezekiel was, wasn't describing judgment of the heathen. He was describing judgment of God's own people here. God rejected their pagan altars as idolatrous and unclean. And as a result, they would know. And they would learn by experiencing judgment that he, Jehovah, is God and that he doesn't accept contaminated worship. Malachi wrote about the priests who were not treating the sacrifices uh, that they were making to God seriously. They were bringing to the altar animals with blemishes. And they were being sacrificed even though the law demanded that the animals were to have no defects. You know, Jesus said that we are to worship him in spirit and in truth, which says there is a wrong way to worship God. Because a, a lot of people say, oh, well, I worship God in my own way. Better be in spirit and in truth or it's wrong. And we better find out what it is to worship God in spirit and in truth. Israel should have turned to the true and the living God. They should have known. They should have been acquainted with his ways of dealing with men. Because you can't toy with God. You can't mess around with God because judgment does come. America today is trying like crazy to bring peace to the world. But instead of solving our problems, our problems continue piling up, getting worse and worse. And why is that? Because God sees all things, he knows all things, and then he judges all things according to their works. I think a lot of people see God as a kind old man with a long gray beard sitting on a rocking chair somewhere in the clouds. And he's crying sadly about the way things are here. But God is a holy God. And in chapter 1, Ezekiel saw a vision of that holy God. And it described the power of God as he moved forward to carry out his purposes and showing that God does move in judgment upon the earth that we live in. To see God as a God of judgment, you know, sometimes it might be hard to accept. And we can't understand the mind of God. 
because he's infinitely wise. But again, we're dealing with a holy God, and God is not wrong. He's never wrong. We're the ones who are wrong. So you have to come to terms with that. You have to be willing to admit that. God is saying here, I'm going to judge Israel, and it's not going to be easy. He says, and I'm afraid, I, I, I'm afraid that Israel wasn't at all willing to admit they were wrong. So the message of judgment confirmed the sovereignty of God by him rejecting their pagan worship. And like I said a minute ago, when, when you hear people say, I worship God in my own way, I would advise you better take a few steps back. <laughs> because judgment is coming. Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 5, we know it well. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall now bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Verses 8 through 10. Yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which has departed from me and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all of their abominations. And they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. Now there were some of the people, there were some among these people who stayed faithful to God. And there's always those faithful few. The nation altogether, though, turned away from God, but there was some that was still a believing remnant, some that kept the faith. So a word of encouragement and hope followed the hopelessness and the despair of the destruction that was mentioned in verses 3 through 7. Some people would be spared that judgment, even though they'll be scattered among the nations, according to verse 8. Now this message, which came before the siege uh, of 587 B.C., revealed that the final destruction would leave a small remnant behind that would be the hope for the future. So Ezekiel was giving here some instructions, given some instructions from the Lord about the Israelites' captivity. He said to, about them in verse 9, they will remember me. He said, you will remember me. Many who went into captivity ended up there because they had forgotten God. And the warning, there's a warning, there's many of them about forgetting God. But Deuteronomy 8.11 said, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. But in captivity, they started to remember God again. And how often it is in a crisis... And during hard times, caused people to start remembering God again. Before the crisis came, and, and it's human nature. Before crisis comes, before we get into a mess or something that we know is bigger than us, we're too busy to think about God. But after the crisis has come and we're in the midst of it, and it brings us great loss, it brings us misery and sorrow, people start talking about God. And they start praying to Him. So there are times that, that God allows crisis. 
And he allows hard times to come into our lives to bring us back to him, to drive us back to him. The reason for the captivity is they departed from God. And they went whoring after these idols. Israel's captivity wasn't without good reason. God just doesn't do things randomly. Israel had forsaken God and they had gone after gods who, weren't, who aren't gods. And that's a big no-no with God. And it resulted in Israel being punished and taken into captivity by other nations. It might be easy to turn away from God and to stop honoring Him and instead seek the popular evil practices of the day. It's easy to follow the crowd. But judgment will come when we leave God. Being popular, being in the majority, does not stop the judgment of God. Doesn't God, God doesn't scratch and go, well, maybe, you know, all these people, maybe they're right and I'm wrong. There were only eight people saved in the flood out of millions. The majority said, we don't need God. There's not going to be a flood. There's not going to be a judgment. Only eight people saved out of millions. So don't think that the, that the majority is right. You better stand on the word of God. Even if you're the only one. Because God is never wrong. And God's word comes to pass and his judgment is going to come. Sin might be exciting at the time of the temptation. But the time will come when you will hate your wicked behavior. Where it won't be fun anymore. Verse 9, notice what he says. The people will hate themselves for the evils they committed in all of their abominations. They'll hate themselves. You'll look at your sinful behavior with disgust and regret. And sometimes hating yourself for your sins is so strong, it can really mess up your mind. Sin has a very bad aftertaste. At first, hey, it looks exciting. But sooner or later, you'll hate your sinful behavior. He said, then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive. Now, what is this remnant going to do? They're going to be a witness for God. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which has departed from me. He says, man, my heart was broken in pieces because they, because they left me for dumb idols, which Paul said are really demons. He said, these, these were my people. They belong to me. But they've played the harlot by committing spiritual adultery with these idols. Now, the organized church that's left behind after Jesus takes his true church, his true bride out of this world, is also called a harlot in Revelation 17. And they will hate themselves for the evils they have committed in all of their abominations. This is one of the results of judgment, but we don't see this result yet in our world today. This just means that there's going to be more judgment and that judgment is coming during the great tribulation period. Listen to what Revelation 16, 9 says. <clears throat> and men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed 
the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. Can you imagine? Listen to Revelation 16, 10, verse, uh, 16, 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. That is the pain of God's judgment. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their sins. Revelation 16, 21. And great hail, uh, great hail fell from heaven upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Judgment is going to be great on the earth after the church is gone. And the so-called organized church, the church in that day that's going to be here, is going to receive and experience this judgment. But there's going to be people who just, who it says three times, blaspheme God. They're, they're, they're still shaking their fists of God and not repenting. You would think, you know, knowing this, there would be masses and masses of people that were repenting. But there's not going to be with this crowd in the Great Tribulation period. In Ezekiel's day, there were those who loathed themselves. They repented because they were still, but they repented because they were still close to God. That will always be the case with God's people. If you don't hate yourself whenever you serve the devil, then you must not be one of God's people because you cannot love the things that God hates. Verse 10 says, and they shall know that I am the Lord. This is the third time we hear this in chapter 6 here. And it's another result of judgment. Again, we don't see this happening in our day today. Instead of recognizing the hand of God today, people are saying that he's not even here. They argue that, that, that God doesn't even exist You know, and, and that they argue that, you know, he, he's not there. They argue that if he did exist, why doesn't he help? But where do we get that idea? Where do we get that idea? God is judging sin. But people refuse to believe this because they don't want a God who judges. You can make a God after your own likeness, if you want to. But the true and living God, the holy God, is still out there. You might wish he'd disappear and go away. But he's not going to. There's nowhere he can go because the Bible says the world can't contain him. He will continue to judge until the very end. Verses 11 through 14. Thus says the Lord God, Pound your fist and stamp your feet and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel. For they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. He who is far off shall die by the pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword. And he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus will I spend my fury upon them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when their slain are among their idols and all of their altars on every high hill, on all the mountains, under every green tree, and ever, under every thick oak, 
wherever they offered sweet incense to all of their idols. Verse 14, So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than the wilderness towards Dibla in all their dwelling places. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Again, three kinds of judgment are mentioned here. The sword, famine, and pestilence. Those are reported from chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 and 12. Ezekiel was told here by God to clap his hands. When it says pound his hands, it means to clap his hands, to stomp his feet, and to cry alas as a sign of excitement and emotion used to condemn the abominations and, and idolatrous practices of the Jewish people. The three kinds of judgment are mentioned again in verse 12 with the message that judgment will be all-inclusive and all-inclusive. Everybody will be involved. Nobody is going to escape. So in closing, the words in verse 14, then they shall know that I am the Lord, gives the purpose behind the judgment that was just described. The reason I'm bringing this judgment because then they will know that I am the Lord. And this phrase was used all through the messages of chapter 6. In verses 7, verse 10, 13, and 14, it showed how much Ezekiel wanted all the people to know the God of Israel. He wanted them to know the God of Israel as the one true living God. Now here's the point or the lesson. People will know God. They're going to know Him through responding to His loving attempts of salvation and fellowship, or they're going to know Him through His judgment. Either way, they're going to know Him. Paul said one day, you know, every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to bow. Through judgment or because of their love for Him. But you don't have to wait to that day. Don't wait till that day. Especially if it's in judgment. Which will it be for you? Will you respond in the day of judgment and hopefully it won't be too late? Or you respond to his love for you? It's up to you. It's your choice. Yes, sir. Of course, God would prefer, just as the prophets did, that you'd come to know him through his love for you. And even God said, he's not willing that any man should perish. He does not delight in the death of man. That's why Jesus Christ came and gave his life for us, that man did not need to perish. But... God will honor our choices. He doesn't save us against our will. He won't keep us safe against our will. We have that one thing that limits God, and that is free choice. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that, you know, when you bring judgment, you don't, you don't surprise us. You warn us first. You let us know what's going to happen. Father, you, you, you warn us so that we can't say, God, you, you didn't, I didn't know, or, or Lord, you didn't tell me. May he made it known 
It was not done in secret. The cross was out in the open. Jesus died for every man, woman, and child. We must choose life or death. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, our prayer is always that you would come to know him as your Lord and Savior. And if God has spoken to your heart tonight and, and has made you know, I need Jesus. I don't want to wait until judgment comes. I want to do it now because of his love for me. I'm going to say this prayer out loud. It's the sinner's prayer. And you, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord, say you repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you, I am a sinner. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit and help me now to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you need a Bible, you can see me, Pastor Tony, one of the ushers. We'd be more glad to give you one. And um, again, get into a Bible teaching church. If you're close by, you're more than welcome to come and to begin to to learn about the wonderful Savior.